Welcome to the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. Here, we shine a positive light on fathers of color and seek out their stories of trial and triumph while gaining insight on what it means to raise children in this country we call America. A quote from Dr. Franklin Pittman states, Fathering is not something perfect men do, but something that perfects the man. And now, your illustrious host, Lim Gonsalves. What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Lim Gonsalves, a.k.a. Saint, and this is the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. So, always have to say we have amazing guests, and today is no exception. He is the AGT. That means America's Got Talent season 15 winner. Won the whole thing. He's a poet. He's a Stockton native. Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Leak. What's up, man? Hey, and I'm also here joined by my uh, soon-to-be six-month-old son, uh, Jakari, who uh, today became an official crawler. Oh, give it up for Jakari. I see you, man. She's like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, man, we was talking a little bit offline, um, just, you know, catching up and everything. Um, obviously, I mentioned being a Stockton native. I lived 13 years in Stockton. We actually met in Stockton when you was uh, doing your thing in the uh, Stockton streets, you know what I'm saying, coming up on the poetry game. And I really wanted, to, I'm really excited to talk to you, obviously, about fatherhood. You got two amazing kids, and uh, I'd love to hear how you navigate being a father, you know, with uh, especially a lot of your newfound success. I know you're super busy. I didn't mention a lot of the things that you have going on and things that you're doing, but yeah, man, I want to get into it. So first question is how did your life change when you first became a father? Oh man, how did my life change when I first became a father? I think probably the, the, and this is what I talk to all new dads about is, um, I ask every new father and even new mother, how did, like, did you think you understood what unconditional love felt like until your kid was here? And everybody's answer is always no. And then the moment their kid arrives, they're like, it, it just clicked. Everything shifted, everything changed. And I would say that same exact thing happened to me. Mm-hmm. Like I've had unconditional love bestowed upon me from God in that context. But like, you know, like somebody does something messed up to you or, grimy to you it's you know it's it may be hard to let them go but you know we all have our our inevitable barriers where we're saying like hey oh fam like you can you can kick rocks if necessary like I don't know what my children could do to make me ever like love them less or love them not at all Um, and so like unconditional love was like probably the biggest shift for me in regards to fatherhood so um when you say unconditional love obviously you know, we all know what that means without condition, not conditional. uh, Right. But when you say like, obviously you have, you know, a mother, Um, would you say it's different from, let's say the love you have for your mother than you do for your children? Oh, without question. Right. Cause like, I love my mom unconditionally as well. Right. Like Mm -hmm. she is somebody who brought me into life, Mm -hmm. but like, I would say the circumstances of a lot of people's parents are different. Right. 
like people have very bad like if you were to ask me about like the difference between my love for my kids and my love for my dad Mm -hmm. who I met when I was 25 Mm -hmm. like didn't grow up around like he's still just as much my father as my mom is my mom I would take a bullet for my mom I would not take a bullet for him for my kids I'd go kill somebody (laughs) oh that's the difference (laughs) you know what I mean I grow it akin to John Q my son will not bury me I will like uh no I I will not bury my son my son will bury me yes yes you know what I mean and it's a reality of like yo like if it if it came down to it and there was only like the option of like me giving away my life for the sake of my children's life to be able to continue on like Mm -hmm. without question dropping it at the dime dropping it at the like drop of a hat I'd have to consider that with pretty much anybody else. I want to talk about, like you said, um, you know, obviously congratulations again for winning season 15 of AGT. I know that was huge, especially first poet doing that um, in 15 whole seasons, obviously an amazing thing. And that's a wildly popular show, international fame associated with that. My thing is, you know, you do something like that. Obviously your life, your trajectory goes crazy. Right. And so, um, all the appearances, everything that you have going on. So I, I would assume that it's a huge shift from the way your life was before. Talk about adjusting and being a father and how you have to obviously adjust your time, you, you, you know, working on other projects as well as you should, but how do you adjust that time and, and make sure you, you make quality time for your children? Yeah, man. I mean, the, the lifestyle change is drastic for me. Like I was you know, part-time poeting at the time and mm-hmm. full-time working in terms of just like a regular nine to five. And as soon as I won the show, I pretty much left the job immediately afterwards. And what ends up happening is you, like people think entrepreneurship, and I had this foolish idea, is the idea that like, oh, you know, you get the chance to transition from, you know, working nine to five to work whenever you want. And the reality mm-hmm. is that's not the truth. You work now pretty much 24 seven for right an extended period of time until Mm -hmm. you're then able to say, oh, I control my schedule enough. Mm -hmm. And I'm still very much in that 24 seven period. I've had to challenge that in some ways because a lot of it is a poverty mindset that I feel like I have to take every gig. Mm -hmm. Because when you're broke and you're an artist, you have to take every opportunity. Right. Like no matter what show comes up, it's like, oh, hey, like, can I fit that into the day? Mm-hmm. can I squeeze that in so that way I can go make the money because bills are due and all the other stuff now my circumstances are different I don't have to take every opportunity but also if I don't then I have to deal with the repercussions of what that means mm-hmm. like not just financially but also socially who am I saying no to mm-hmm. is it somebody who I want to do per- work with and partnership with later on right. will they take it offensively if I do decline and if I don't decline and then I'm still not 100% to be able to be there, what does that then say about me? But then all of this coming back to my time with my kids, it's a, unfortunately like a robbing Peter to pay Paul mm-hmm. um, type scenario. My greatest resource is time, but the most valuable, but the most, the thing that I get paid for most is my time. Mm-hmm. And so um, my children aren't really of age where it makes sense to take them on the road to travel with me a lot of places. I missed time with them. I did my residency in Vegas and ended up missing. I left when he was one month old, came back and he was four months old. But then also the other cool part is that first entire month I was home. Mm -hmm. Every day since then, 
every day since I've gotten back outside of like my few work days, mm-hmm. I've been able to be here for all of it. Like I got the chance to just watch him crawl. Like their parents, especially, you know, breadwinners mm-hmm. who they work a nine to five and they, their days are zapped. They're gone before their kids wake up mm-hmm. and they're coming home right after, like right when their kids are getting ready to go to sleep. Right. And I have the privilege to say, yo, yes, I'm gone certain amounts of days. That means that I don't get to be here for all, like for every moment. Right. But the days that I'm here, I'm here for every moment. Mm-hmm. Like I'm here for all of it. I don't just live two days at a time with my kids. I live mm-hmm. weeks at a time with my children. It is a beautiful thing because I get more time. But when I'm absent, the time is just so sparing. It's interesting you say that because I know a lot of people, especially people that are in the artistic community, whether they're performers, travel a lot for their art, um, whatever that may be. I know they said during the pandemic, even though, you know, being not being able to travel. So obviously you lose money, you know, for that type of situation. But the flip side that they said was being able to be home with their children these were moments that, you know, they would usually be grinding so hard, you know, to, again, you know, bring in money, you know, to take care of their family. Now they have to be there. Um, but it's a, it's a blessing because these are especially ones that have young children being able to see them, like you said, crawl and walk and do these different things that a lot of times they may miss if they, you know, were, um, were traveling like normal. So it's interesting to say, when you say, uh, you know, you have this time to spend when you're there, it's really maximizing the time that you have, right? Um, When you are home. Oh, without question, man. Actually, I've had this scenario happen with both of my children. Like, so my daughter was like four months old and then I had to go do the show, America's Got Talent. And in doing the show, I had, this was like the top of the pandemic. I had to quarantine in a hotel for two months to participate in the show. So like the entire time I was on the show, my family was back here in Stockton. I was over by, I was over at Universal Studios performing and doing my thing, but couldn't be around them. And like, it wasn't until I think I had made like a surprise visit home. It was that day that my daughter started crawling. So like I made it because I barely made it. But yeah, time is the greatest commodity. At the end of the day, like maximizing how I utilize it um, throughout the course of my day, learning how to find routine and the lack of routine. Cause I mean, every day is a new thing with the, like with little ones like him, for instance, this morning he woke up at 5.30 cause he wanted to be up at 5.30 in the morning. I was planning on working out at 5.30. I instead spent the next 45 minutes kicking it with him, getting his energy out so he could go back to sleep. I'm still gonna work out today. Just didn't happen at 5.30. <laughs> yeah, you just had to obviously adjust your schedule. You know, that's what happens when you got the kids, I understand. Yeah, man. It's funny too. Like one of my, one of my friends from college lives up the street and uh, Mm -hmm. he and his wife just had their first kid. I told him, I was like, yo man, be prepared for like early nights Mm -hmm. and late nights. He was like early nights and late nights. I was like, I mean, you're going to be coming home early and staying up late. Mm -hmm. I'm like, be prepared for that. Right. And uh, now that they have their kid, I think their kid's like three weeks old, about to be a month old. And he's like, bro, he's like, as soon as like 530 hits, we we wrapping it up anywhere and everywhere we at. We coming home. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it. like, it's a wrap. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you've come across just in, you know, raising children in this country, in this society, what have you. Just talk about some of the challenges that you faced. So probably one of the biggest challenges I faced was just pride. I always wanted to have kids. 
But like in these scenarios where I was having children in my head, it was always with this like, I always had a wife there, but it was this phantom woman who signed up for everything that I wanted to do, who did everything that I had in mind for raising children. And it all went the way that I imagined. And now I have a beautiful and wonderful wife, but she also has opinions. She also has mm -hmm. thoughts. She has feelings. She's had mm -hmm. a vision for raising children. Now it's a matter of how does raising this, these children look realistically between mm -hmm. the two of us and what we see is best for our kids, right? I say like truth is found between two extremes. Like mm -hmm. that's like a saying I live by. And with that in mind, it's like, how do we how do we reconcile these two separate visions to be a singular entity? A lot of communication, a lot of, a lot of hard conversations, a lot of, you know, give, take. And especially with me being on the road, the way I'm on the road, it requires me to submit a lot of what I would like to have to what is best for my wife and the children mm -hmm. in the midst of my absence, right. because I'm gone. You know what I mean? So like, like I would say my wife and I most certainly treat this like as a hundred, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like we're both a hundred percent parents, but her being the stay at home mom, she sees things. She interacts with things that I only partially interact with at times. So I lean on her understanding to give me and inform me on how we should be able to maneuver and do things. Unless something's like immensely pressing that like I see as strictly important then you know it's a uh, a lot of it i i leave to her just i try to leave to her discretion which was hard at first you know everybody you know wants their kids to somewhat have like somewhat of a reflection of their own experiences in terms of the positive but then like you know you got to reconcile the fact that you're not always right in those regards nor are you always in position to put it to do things the way that you want to uh, putting my pride aside i would say was probably one of the most difficult parts of being a father that's really that's really telling. I, I think it's um, I think a lot of times that happens, um, especially when you you don't really you know go into fatherhood um, or parenthood, and uh, you're thinking that it's going to be one way, and it's like mm, no, this is a huge adjustment that you're going to have to make essentially to be able to be a, a good parent. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I want to talk about you. You mentioned, and I know this is something that you've you know had in your poetry. You've uh, worked in as far as you know what you talk about but you just mentioned earlier about your dad not being there um and you didn't meet him until you were a certain age can you talk about how that played into your upbringing yeah i mean not meeting my dad until i was 25 my greatest goal was to be a father at, at a very young age but the problem i dealt with was i thought the opposite of doing bad was doing good and so i thought about oh yo like not just his absence, but what can I learn from other bad fathers? And like, I had like a stepdad who we have a very complicated, who we had a very complicated relationship. My grandpa, my uncle, these church fathers and all this other stuff. And I'm like, I just do the opposite of what they were doing bad. That must mean I'm now doing the right thing. And the opposite of bad isn't good. It's just another form of bad. You have to find the very thin gray area on the in-between to find where the truth lies. That was really hard for me to come to terms with because I lived in a world of black and white for very long, for a right. very long time. And so that was just really hard having to come to terms with like, hey, like how does this work as a young man who's trying to figure out fatherhood, as a young man who's trying to figure out how to be a man, 
how do I re- how do I reconcile this? It came to a head, but it was it was hard. It still is difficult. Sure. Because I mean, my dad and I don't have a prototypical parent relationship. Right. Like, I don't call my dad for marital advice because my dad's not married. Mm-hmm. He's been like I think divorced three times. I don't mm-hmm. call my pops for like parenting advice because the longest he stuck around with a group of with a group of his children was five years. And so I'm like, I can glean things from you in terms of what I shouldn't be doing more than mm-hmm. likely. But I, in this season of my life, I'm just trying to find those who I can emulate. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. When you grew up in, um, you know, obviously you were with your mother having a single parent. Would you say that that helped you to become stronger as an individual? And ultimately, when you became a parent, wanting to make sure you were the best parent possible? Yes and no. Like just going through the life circumstances I went through generally just made me a stronger person. If you were to ask like my wife and I, like I'm definitely the person of us two who's like more calm under pressure Okay. because like my life has been in pressurized situations from home life to, mm-hmm. you know, everything else, you know, I mean, you know, Southside Stockton and all the, all that fun stuff. Right. Um, and so like those types of things, like I'm, I'm very unwavering, unbothered. Also. I would say my mom's parenthood style taught me grace and abundance. And so I'm a very gracious person. And that's something Mm. else that my wife would credit towards me as well. But also I would say the like the not so great part about it is, um, and I didn't even know this about myself until recently. um, I could be flighty. Really? And like, I'm not really flighty with a lot of things, or at least I didn't think so. But now as I reflect on it, like, I'm only not flighty with things that I like really care about. Like basketball, I wasn't flighty with, mm-hmm. but like school and a bunch of other stuff like mm-hmm. that. I just view as like, Oh, like I could do that or get that anywhere. Yeah. I, I'm very, I can be very flighty, which is dangerous to have in a marriage and in a parenthood <laughs> scenario. Like I would never cheat on my wife, but like, like the idea of like being able to just say like, Oh, yo, like, would we rather co-parent than be married because we're mm-hmm. not getting along right now mm-hmm. versus being like, oh no, like we we made these vows in front of, you know, our friends, family, God, each right. other, and we're going to stick this out. I learned that flightiness, not from my mom's actions because my mom wasn't flighty. I just learned that my mom was very selective and like, oh, yo, like I don't have to put up with anything because I'm already capable of doing it on my own. Mm. Like I'm an end like I learned so much level of independence that I, it was hard to do co-partnership Wow! because I can do so much on my own. Mm-hmm. And I struggle still to this day to just let stuff go and be like, Hey, yo, boo, will you do that for me? Like asking for breaks to be like, Oh yo, like I want to, I want, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Like I'll run myself to the ground till, you know, trying to make sure that my wife's good, that the family's good, that the house mm-hmm. is good, that everything else is straight. And then inevitably crash. And my wife will be like, you should have just taken the breaks. I could do it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I could do it on my own. I was always able to do it on my own. Right. But now I'm not. Like, I'm most certainly, I couldn't do parenting on my own. I couldn't, like, could I be a single dad? Sure. I'd just be inadequate. And I even think my mom would say, she was like, yeah, I wasn't. And like, she was like, I was an adequate mother. I'm not an adequate father. And it requires both. You know what I mean? And I yeah. think, I'm like, I'd be a, I'd be a great dad, horrible mom. Mm. like don't celebrate me like that corny thing people be like celebrate your mom on celebrate single mom on father's day you're like yeah like and my mom was like yeah like i was a crappy dad but i was a really great mom 
Mm. I like how you said that. Like it's, <laughs> there's things that like when you, you talk about singer mothers, yeah, a lot of times people will say that, but ultimately the fathers, um, and that's an, another reason why I really cherish this podcast and really want to do this podcast, especially not being a father of my own, but having a father in the home is so, is as necessary as having a mother in the home. And people who are, let's say, single fathers or single mothers, it's not that they want that. It's not that that's the choice that they have. You know, it's it's what they've been dealt. And so they make the best out of it. But ultimately, a child- oh, These the- new wave folks what? want it, bro. It's crazy. Really? I was on, I watched like several YouTube videos of women who are like, I want kids. I just don't want the dude who come with it. Bro. And it's like- and I'm like, time out. And they're like, yeah, like, I'll just go get pregnant. Like, I'll, like, I want a kid. Like, I want to start a family. And it's like, and then like the interviewer will ask me like, so like, what about like the child who would like want their other half of their, mm-hmm. of their, of themselves? Right. And they're like, they won't need that. They'll have me. Bro. And, it's, <laughs> and, and I'm like, yo. <laughs> I'm like, That's so yo. selfish, bro. That's so selfish. <laughs> And it's, uh, it, as you said, ridiculously selfish because yeah. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you you evidently haven't talked to like a single, like mm-hmm. a, a child of like single parents. Right. Like of like the impact of like having the questioning and the thoughts of mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, like, where is my dad? Where right. is my mom? Like, what's going on? Did they not want me around? Or even just like separate parents in two different households like the impact because my brother deals with that where he lives with my mom and visits his dad and how that changes your dynamics it's Mm. a it's a there's so much you know i'm not i'm just not gonna hold back on it and i believe in like the divinity of creation in which the circumstances behind children coming into this world like aids in the process of creating a family unit that helps them grow into all that they should be Mm. right we live in a broken world and humanity finds more and more ways to break it. Mm, that's, that's telling. That's telling. And it's very true. And it's very true. It's extremely true. Just to pick it back off what you said, it's like, I think that people have wanted to um, basically decide that they feel as if that being a, a perfect individual requires being someone that is not who they are. Like, Ultimately, it's it's like um, it's like we're social media, right? We're infatuated with social media because when we see things like images on Instagram and things of that nature, and someone puts themselves in their best light, so they put themselves as if they're perfect. When in actuality, they're you know there's a lot of imperfections that are are accustomed to them because they're they're people, they're people, but they only show the one side of them. It's like um, and I've said this before on my podcast, it was a, an image I saw and it was an image of an apple looking into the mirror. And so on the apple, the front end was essentially perfect, right? But on the back end, it was bitten out. So it was like a chunk out of it. But the only thing that you could see was the perfect part of the apple. So it's like, that's the image that people show. And I think that's an, ultimately why we have a lot of the issues that we do have, no one wants to be real. Like they just want to be perfect. Oh, without question, man. And like to tie this back into like the whole fatherhood concept, Mm -hmm. like that's what makes just parenthood generally difficult. 
is the desire to be the perfect parent for these kids, the desire to be the perfect partner for your spouse. Right. And it's like, no, dog, like just be the best you can be. Yeah. Like the the reality is, you know what I mean? Like, and how social media contributes to it, you could pick holes in any in anything, mm-hmm. in any form of parenting. Oh, spanking your kids results in A, B, C, D, E, F, G in terms of like they're like negative ways that they end up developing. But then you look societally over the course of like hundreds and hundreds of years, mm-hmm. corporal punishment has been a part of all formal societies and we've raised and there's been good people who've resulted from it. So it's like, okay, cool. Like it's it's less about trying to create a singular functional system and more so a an adaptive system that suits the needs of whomever you're serving. Like we all say all kids are different, love them the way that they need to be loved. But then we say, oh, blanket statements, you can't do that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, yo, like, princess, I love my little brother. My little brother is like a really lazy high school kid, right? (laughs) At a younger age, he probably could have utilized a very different type of incentivism than my mom gave him because he wasn't me. Like I was a highly driven pursuant individual like I would go chase after things because that was my personality Mm -hmm. and my mom treated him similarly to how she treated me with that same demeanor that didn't work because that that wasn't him and my mom is now adjusting to that I didn't need whoopings like my brother might have needed a whooping one time (laughs) um but then like you hear it like you see all these social media pages on like oh hey like here's exactly how you should like what you should do with your kids to ensure mm-hmm. that this is how like they grow and raise up. And it's like, right. like, yo, this is not formulaic. Like, guess what? Like this person who utilized these methods that may have worked for them, but you don't live in the city they live in. Mm-hmm. You don't have the extended family that they have. You don't have the same support system that they got. And you also aren't them and your children aren't their children. Those are very different things. Can you learn from it? Yes, but you need to be able to grab something, take it in, and figure out, A, how can I implement, right? But people love to try to be carbon copies of each other nowadays in society because it's easier to just copy somebody else's concept than to take the time to learn how to love somebody what, what, where they need to be loved. And that's both raising your children and loving your spouse. I think that's why a lot of partnerships end up hurting because they don't take the time to learn their spouse well enough mm-hmm. and frequently enough to love them well. Right. Like, I recently tried to love my wife the same way she wanted to be loved when we first got married. My wife is five years older and is not the same person who I married five years ago. Hmm. And she didn't want that. And it was a very basic thing. It wasn't big. Hmm. Like I ordered her a chai latte Mm -hmm. uh, from a coffee shop. My wife used to always get chai lattes. My wife has not drinking chai latte in two years, but I didn't know what else to get. And she was like, oh, I forgot that I used to actually drink these. And that's small, Mm -hmm. but then figuring out like, oh, hey, like I'm communicating with my wife the same way I communicated with 2018 wife. I'm communicating with my husband the same way that I, I'm, and oftentimes what it comes down to is I'm communicating with you the way I want to be communicated too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we, uh, we become reflections of the very thing that we're hoping to receive not realizing that that reflection isn't doing anything besides harming the person that you're trying to care for. It's very good, man. You are dropping some, some, some dope uh, wisdom, my guy. I wanted, you, you mentioned a little bit about 
you know, being a, a believer. And I want to talk about kind of just how faith comes into your parenting. What would you like to know? Like how I'm trying to integrate it? Um, yeah, just like how, how do you incorporate it? Uh, what are th- some of the things that you, you know, as far as in teaching your children, uh, how does all that work? How does faith come um, into play when raising your children? So practically, yeah, I'll go with the practical first. The practical stuff is just how I love them mm-hmm. and how I treat them, right? My child, my children are both under two. So like explaining biblical theology to them is a, a futile effort, but I can show them God's love and I can show them how, how, how Christ cared for them. My daughter, you know, she's getting ready to turn two and she threw something at her little brother today. And she thought it was funny and laughed, pulled her aside instead of, you know, being like, mm, like, don't do that again. No, I pull her in and I say, hey, like, that can really harm somebody and that can hurt your brother. And that may not have hurt him physically, but that may have hurt his feelings. Can you go say sorry to him? And her doing that, when I do something wrong that offends her, for instance, she got uh, accidentally got soap in her eyes in the bathtub. I said, mm-hmm. hey, I know I didn't mean to get soap in your eyes, but I want to say sorry because I know that, that I know that, that kind of hurts your eyes. Right she now has a frame of reference for what that type of forgiveness looks like. And when we start talking about like, Hey, like the way that I forgive you, the way you forgive me, the way that we forgive each other, that's the same. We get that from the source that God has forgiven us for the things that we've done. Allowing for my daughter to be imperfect and still be loved is probably the biggest thing because I knew I grew up struggling with that concept that I could be imperfect and still be loved. Like my house is junked up a bunch of toys all over the place from her is that frustrating mm-hmm. yes but i love her no less and uh that comes back to that unconditional love concept that we talked about at the top my source of unconditional love is first mm-hmm. from that is first from the one who loved me and so just modeling it modeling the faith modeling the love modeling the prayer the consistency the the dependency those types of things are all the practical concepts like we got her like a little kid's bible that like breaks down like the major stories into like a singular page essentially mm-hmm. in a way that she can hear and understand right. um, my wife prays with her every night when she puts her down to sleep i pray with my son we listen to worship music we go to church and my daughter goes to children's church and then during praise and worship she comes and comes and does praise and worship with us so those are all of like the main ways but probably like the way that I find most gratifying is just praying for them. I pray just for their, I pray for their now, for their soon to come. And just like, Mm -hmm. Hey, like, I don't know what's in store for you, but I pray God's will over you. And I pray that I don't get in the way of it. I want to switch gears a little bit. Obviously, you know, you are a black man, obviously have talked about those tones as well in your um, work. (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) I was, uh, have you ever, have you heard of Fresh and Fit podcast? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah, so it was, it, they like recently were on a, on an interview and there's this, uh, I forget, I just remember his last name was Shabazz and uh, mm-hmm. he was, <laughs> he was just roasting these two dudes about like how they're like, were like both coons and not really black just because like they evidently were chasing after like blonde hair blue-eyed white women and i was like oh, oh i'm no. like well depending on who you talk to or maybe i'm not black because of <laughs> my wife. oh because of your wife <laughs> i got it i got it but, but i got no, it yes, it's a, yes that just ran through my head i'm like yo i gotta get him on a i gotta interview him one day that's uh, 
That's funny. That's funny. Um, but nonetheless, um, yes, you are a black man <laughs> and uh, you have black children. Um, so that being said, um, and I know your children are young, how important is it or will it be for you to incorporate race when raising your children or incorporate culture? Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's immensely important. Probably the most difficult part is just determining what parts of the culture I want. What is black culture mm -hmm. um, becomes the prevalent question, right? Because like, you know, we talk about like backyard barbecues with the family and music and mm -hmm. loafers and, you know, the kids running around and hanging out. Like I see that on my wife's white side of the family, it just looks different. The food at the table is different. The music is different. And so it's like, all right, cool. So like we all participate in these very similar things. It's just executed differently. Instead of, you know, hot dogs, it's hot links. Instead mm -hmm. of burgers, it's ribs and chicken. Like I love soul food. I'm trying to have a healthier family than what my grandma, than what my grandma had. So it's like, all right, cool. Like macaroni and cheese is delicious, but how practical is that for my daughter's extended health? Like I want my daughter to have greens, but not greens. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of times culture comes down to like the foods that we eat and the mm -hmm. customs that we adopt. I grew up in a neighborhood with like gangs, drugs, alcohol, violence, mm -hmm. like a bunch of stuff that gets categorized into the black category, mm -hmm. like systemically. And so for myself, I think probably the biggest thing that I want to reinforce with my, with my children is just like, hey, if you do something, it's a black thing. Mm -hmm. If you go camping, black people camp because hmm. guess what you're black and you're camping like, <laughs> like rock with that you know what i mean like, I see. like there's no bounds to what you have an opportunity to go do like i didn't listen to alternative music for years because alternative or rock music didn't listen to any of it because it just wasn't black hmm. like probably first rock song i listened to was a lincoln park song because jay-z was on it Hmm. And then when I found out a bunch of their music, I liked it, but we never let nobody know I listened to it because I was like, oh, snap, cuz like, I don't want to be like, we all went to high school with like that one emo black kid who listened to a bunch <laughs> of punk music and had like the graphic t-shirts with like, you know, the kiss or whoever the frick was on it. And I didn't want to be thrown into that group. And so like, I want my kids to have the full range of experience. I'd love my kids to have the same freedom that like Jaden and Willow have just not as weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> not weird freedom <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean like and the, the inevitability is they're going to be weird because they'll get the chance to like push boundaries mm -hmm. but their weirdness is only weird to me because i didn't have that freedom until so much mm -hmm. later i had gotcha. so many concrete ideas of who i was as a person by the time that i stretched out mm -hmm. they'll stretch out at such a young age that they won't have the barriers question when you go to a restaurant a new restaurant do you order something that you're somewhat familiar with when i go to a new restaurant i always ask for recommendations from the way see until i started making decent money i never did that really i would only order what i knew mm. because if i order something i at a young age if i mm. order something i didn't know and then i didn't like it still had to eat it mm. never want to take the risk my okay. children will never have to be that Mm -hmm. My children will never have to be like, oh man, like 
this is the only thing I'll have to eat tonight. Right, right. And they'll have the freedom to be able to go try something and say, oh, I have the safety net of being able to not like something and still right. be able to put food in my belly. And so, yeah, and that same thing goes with experiences. I went snorkeling for the first time like a year or two ago. Really? Snorkeling is hell fun. It's when super you can fun. actually see. But swimming is quote unquote not black people stuff. Mm. And so, like, my daughter's going to learn how to swim before she's five. My son's going to learn how to swim before he's four. Like, all of these things that, like, are not usually a part of black culture mm -hmm. that I grew up in, because now black culture has shifted and changed quite a bit, sure. will, will be normalized for them. And they'll get to see the full range of blackness from, mm -hmm. you know, going out to Texas and seeing black cowboys and people on horses. Because, I mean, you know, growing up in the inner city, horses, it's just weird. <laughs> and non-existent like he, you know what i mean like, like, you saw him on tv that was it unless you went to like the state fair sure or, like the county sure. fair or some joint and it was always mexican people who had the horses but no like they'll get the chance to learn the full spectrum of like mm. oh blackness is not monolith blackness mm. is a ranging concept that i get the chance to help define right so yeah i think culturally that's probably the most significant thing for me with them probably like the most concrete thing that I want them to have is I just want them to like enjoy black media the way I enjoy black media like I want them to enjoy Friday like <laughs> I want them to enjoy like money talks bad right. boys for us to be able to make the jokes mm -hmm. go to the barbershop you know all the normal stuff that like I I embrace now but like outside of that I'm like hey yo man like push it out let's go see what it is yeah that's what's up. You know, when you going back to, you know, soul food and stuff like that, I think you learn, you know, you learn and you do better. Cause obviously, you know, my grandparents and great grandparents, they had to live off of that because that's what they were able to eat, you know, and that's what they could afford. Now it's like, we don't have to live in that, you know, and then it's great for Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, but in moderation, you know, it's not something that you eat every day. And I think um, it's just a matter of learning and, and just doing better and just, um, making sure that you are healthy, you know, because health is something that is wildly important, obviously, because we have to live. And I think that if just using this as a point of reference in the, uh, uh, in the black culture, um, we often find, you know, people that eat, you know, things like soul food or things that are deemed unhealthy all the time, they end up dying prematurely. You know, you have diabetes and things of that nature that are preventable. And I have relatives that have um, become ill or passed away prematurely because of their health. And I think that there's definitely a surgence of it, you seeing more people that are, you know, pushing the health agenda in the black community. And I think that's really, really important. Very important to do that um, in the inner cities, especially because, you know, even things like eating vegetables and produce and uh, all of that, like in the, some of the inner city communities, people just don't have access to it, you know, or, or things that are organic, you know what I'm saying? Um, being vegan, like, come on now, like, Where's that at? You know what I mean? So in, in some places, you know, it, I live in LA now, so it's, it's widespread here, but if you go to a lot of uh, inner city communities, it's just not something that is talked about. It's not something that's available. So it's not something people know. And so they end up, you know, having bad habits, you know, because of their surroundings. Yeah. And even exercise. I mean, mm -hmm. like that too, I live in a, I live in a safe neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I could walk 
in my neighborhood. Like mm -hmm. my wife, children, and I, we walk on average like around like four miles a day. Mm -hmm. In my old neighborhood, it was not safe enough to walk. You had to have a gym membership to go find a place to go healthily work out. And the gym was nowhere nearby. You had to drive miles to get to the gym. You'll get this reverence. Like you had to go north of March Lane. Mm, right. To get to anything healthy. Sure. Like soul food won't kill you as fast if you're able to go work out, but the community mm. don't work out. Mm. Like it's like we hit, it's like we hit like 26, 27, and folks just be like, shoot, man, what's <laughs> what am I going to the gym for, dog? Right. And like that stops, like our physical health stops being a priority to mm -hmm. us because we're just, and I think oftentimes, you know, just psychologically, we're just getting by. And I guess inevitably tying this also back to the fatherhood concept of what we've been talking about, man, that's a leadership thing. I looked at leadership for so long as the things that I would say instead of the things that I would do. And I learned probably in year three of my marriage, yo, Brandon, if you want for your partner to do something, then you have to do it first. Um, if you want for your children to do something, you have to go do it first. And so now I'm working out. I work out five, four or five days a week. And my partner, you know, and you got to be patient with it. My wife, mm -hmm. like, I'm like, like my wife wants to work out, but we have two kids and it's mm -hmm. loud and tiring. And all you want to do is sleep at the end of the day. And it's like, right. oh, but like, you're important enough to go work out. Right. I'm important enough mm -hmm. to go get that for myself. Or if the kids are awake, be like, hey, can you watch them for 30 minutes? So that way I can go get this workout in. Yeah. Or let me wake up an hour early. So that way I can go get this workout in. Mm -hmm. I'm worth the investment. And so modeling those things as a head of a household becomes important because what you model is what you get out of it. So yeah, fam, like if you want a healthier life in your family, model what healthier looks like. Begin to do it. Don't just wait for other people. And like, don't just wait for other people to follow suit. No, through example and through action for however long it needs, have the conversations as they come up but it, it takes somebody moving forward first. Absolutely, sir. Really good. I'm really enjoying this conversation, man. I do want to, uh, last question, um, typically ask everyone is this is the advice section, uh, words of wisdom. Um, obviously you have, you know, you're a new father in the sense that both of your children are under the age of two, but I still think there's, there's some things that, you know, you get advice that you could give as far as that is concerned. So what advice would you give a new father, someone who's maybe been a father, something that you've learned along the way, what advice would you give? Let your old life go. Mm. Let that go. Let let go of those old expectations of that old frame frame of mind and frame of reference. Let that go. The reality is if you're married and you go into having kids, time with your part time with your partner changes. Mm. It changes. It's it's no there's no if, ands, or buts about it. Going on a date night becomes increasingly more difficult <laughs> right. when you have a child. One-on-one -on -one time becomes increasingly more difficult when mm -hmm. you have a child or multiple children. So yeah, fam, like let go of what the old before children look like because yeah. that's not your existence anymore and it won't be that way ever again mm -hmm. because even if your kids hit 18, you're still a parent. No matter what, you will still right. be their parent. But just because you let, and this is how I'll close it out, um, let go of your old life. But just because you're letting go of something doesn't mean that you're not grabbing hold of something more beautiful. 
I, I feared having children once like it came close to my daughter coming to life because yeah. I was like, I'm never going to have the same freedoms that I do now. I should have done so much more. Mm-hmm. But now the reality is I just, I have this, I don't have the same freedom, but I have the luxury now to be able to say like, oh, instead of just doing it dolo, I get to do it with a family. I've never been to Europe. I'm going to go to Europe this year more than likely. And when I set foot on that in that country, it will be my entire family having set foot in Europe. Right. My daughter will get the chance to go see Big Ben, mm-hmm. the Eiffel Tower, uh, Leaning Tower of Pisa. My son will get the chance to see all, like my son will get the chance to try like real Italian pizza when their father, you know, at their age was thinking that a trip to the park down the street was just the biggest treat. My life that I get the chance to live now is so much more fulfilling than the one that I had before, despite the fact that I have way less freedom. Right. And then also, last bit of advice, sleep when you can. <laughs> sleep when you freaking can, dog. Like, mm-hmm. don't be like, oh, yo, cuz, like, I don't need it. Like, I'm just going to stay up. Be like, no, right. go to sleep. Right. Like, go put your head on the mattress, knock it, knock out, grab the sleep mm-hmm. early and often. Tasks will get done. Dishes will get washed. <sighs> soon as i get off this i'm going to <laughs> i'm like you yawning right now <laughs> i'm like i'm like your boy been up since 5 30 i ran my mile i right. gotta go i gotta go put my work in mm-hmm. but yeah fam like that's my advice that's dope that's dope ladies and gentlemen brandon leak man always good always good to talk to you sir uh i do want you to be able to plug anything that you have going on um that people can look out for obviously you know i know you have a website you got merchandise and all that kind of stuff so just want the the listeners and the viewers um to be able to to be able to support yeah fam biggest way to support is just uh follow me on instagram just type my name in brandon b-r-a-n-d-o-n last name leak l-e-a-k-e mm-hmm. um i got a blue check mark so you'll find me there mm-hmm. and then uh subscribe to my youtube page those are like my, my two biggest things that you can do to support me Okay. Uh, my YouTube page is just my name as well. You'll see a picture of me eating a donut. Mm-hmm. We upload two videos a week. Um, potentially going to start turning into three videos a week if everything goes well in the nice. month of March. And we'll start and we'll start that in April because, you know, getting through these quarters with all the content that we're going to be making and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, nah, like let's like support me there. Oh, yeah. My book comes out in March. So. Oh, word. Uh, yeah, my book called Unraveling. If you want to support a young black author become a New York Times bestseller, mm-hmm. then uh, go pre-order a bunch of them. Dope. Looking out for that, man. That's really dope. Great to hear. And of course, we want to thank everyone so much for tuning in. Um, Brandon got to go to sleep. He's yawning all over the place. Um, again, this is Lim Gonzalez, a.k.a. Saint. And until we speak again, God bless and take care. Colors of Fatherhood is produced by Josh Rodriguez and St. Lee Productions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share with all your family and friends. Please remember to follow us on social media at Stay on the Mic and at Colors of Fatherhood. And for all your booking needs, please visit www.stayonthemic.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next episode.